I called you and texted you the day before to ask you if you would jump on with me. So yesterday before George made his comments mm -hmm. after that uh, one hour press conference, I, I, I was in the car driving here. And when I heard it, it just popped in because of, it was just fresh in my mind of, of direct messaging you. So mm -hmm. I got to get your first reactions when you heard his comments about you. Yeah. Um, my first reaction, obviously, I won't. I'm sure this is going to be on public TV, so I won't say my first thought about what I thought about uh, George saying that. Um, it's funny because you know I, I thought a lot about how I felt about him saying that about me, and if I even take myself out of it and put myself in an analyst role, you're saying that about a guy who played 13 years for you, uh, a guy who you know won Piccolo awards for you, played through injuries for you, took less money. Uh, from the, from the Chicago Bears when the Miami Dolphins were offering me $2 million more in 2002 to come back and play for the Chicago Bears. All of that going on in my head while he says, uh, basically, that I'm a liar, that you can't trust a word that comes out of my mouth is basically what he said about me, right? And then, uh, obviously, I'm, Jared, like, uh, you know, I'm thinking to myself, gosh, maybe I did get the story wrong, right? After he sees, he's so passionate, defends himself. So I call Harry Heastan. I call Ryan Pace and I make sure I got my story correct. And I did, right? It, it was the right story. It's the story I got because I feel like the things I say, I, you know, should be true on the radio, or at least true according to the way I see the story. And of, of course, there's always two sides to every story. But uh, for him to say that about me, uh, obviously did not sit well with me at all. I did not like it at all. I still don't. You would imagine the farther you get away from it, you start to get a perspective on it and it, you wouldn't be, as personal, I'll tell you this. Funny thing is the farther I get away from it, the more mad I get about what he said, right? Because like, you know, I'm a father of six, right? And he hasn't talked to me in 11 years. Me and George McCassie, even when I was in the building, I had no interaction with George McCassie except for to grab my tickets and leave. He was never in meetings with me. He was never on the field with me. He was never in a locker room with me. This man has never been around me in his life on a day-to-day -day basis. Yet he went out there and judged my character in front of a national audience on Zoom. So the farther I get away from that, the more pissed off I get that he basically told people, you can't trust this man's word. His word is no good. Well, that's the hard part for me when you know I, I step back and look at this because just through social media, Olin, your, your name comes up a lot. You're one of the most well-respected former players in this franchise. And so I see your name popping up about being on this coaching staff, about helping out? And, and how does that maybe push you even further away from, from even those comments or those ideas? Because you know you could be very, very useful within that organization. The only per people who would push me away would be the McCaskey family and Ted Phillips. And I said this today on my podcast. I will always love the Chicago Bears. For me, Jerry, I'm not only saying this because I'm talking to you. Walter Payton is the Chicago Bears for me. Richard Dent is the Chicago Bears for me. Jay Hilgenberg is the Chicago Bears. Tom Fair is the Chicago Bears. Brian Erlacher, I was talking to him today. He's the Chicago Bears. Thomas Jones, Jason McKee, Reuben Brown. I love the Chicago Bears. Always will. Love the city. Love the city of Chicago. Now, the problem, like you just asked, is when you put somebody in charge at your building, he represents your family. My assumption has to be the whole family feels that way about me, right? It has to be. He speaks for the family. He speaks for the franchise. I will never hold ill will against Chicago Bears. Everything I have, everything my family has, the house I live in, 
it's mostly all from football and the Chicago Bears. So if you ask me, somebody asked me on radio, do you hate the Chicago Bears? It's not possible. That's not possible for me. That'll never happen. I would never feel that way about the Chicago Bears or football. And George McCaskey, he will not hold that kind of power over me. I will not let him let me feel that way about a team I gave 13 years to. Me and him seem to have a personal problem that he decided to attack, my, to attack me and say that I, we all know the things he said, that basically I'm a liar. But as far as push, like, I don't know would be the answer, right? I would have never know if they asked me to coach, if they asked me to do anything. Um, I, I guess I don't, what I would, my answer would be is I don't have to worry about that after what I heard yesterday. Right? I don't have to worry about someone inviting me to that building after the things he said that, they do, they're not going to talk to former players or in the media because I guess we can't understand the line. I got, I got news for George McCaskey. We talked to a lot of people in the building. We understand the line. I don't know what he thinks, but his coaches and, and other people in the building, they reach, they reach out. Like, you know, Jared, I'm not going to want to put you on the spot, but like, you know, people reach out and they give you stuff, George, and you know where the line is. You know, we are, we do understand because we've been in that building, we have a special we have a special understanding of what's to be said and what's not to be said. And how do you respect your source? Right. So a lot, a lot of stuff that was said yesterday was a little bit crazy. Um, obviously I've become to, in my opinion, too big of a story, but I'm going to tell you this right now. I would expect you to, I would expect any fan to, I expect anybody to defend their name when someone says their word is no good. I'm with you, man. I totally understand. I appreciate you for, for just clarifying that, man, because you did, yeah. yeah, you became, a big part of the story yesterday and, and mm. kind of in some ways overshadowed a little bit what actually happened yesterday and <laughs> right, yeah. Pace, who had one season above 507 years in his tenure. And yeah. then you have Matt Nagy who went to the playoffs twice, but it was 0-2. Uh, what will you remember most about the Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy era here in Chicago? Well, first Ryan Pace, right? He took two big swings at the quarterback position, right? And Justin Fields, we don't know yet. And that swing he took at Mitch Trubisky, it did not work out. Uh, it's, it will be interesting to follow Mitch and see him in a different scheme, what may happen. I don't know. A lot of people say he can play. Um, I think he's more of a backup type quarterback, but we'll see. Hopefully he proves me wrong. But uh, I will remember that in 2018, watching that team, I remember at that time I did the post-game show on the score was the only thing I did uh, media wise and I remember how excited this town was man and like you know I mean uh we've been here through runs and uh, that was so much fun to just be able to cover the team talk about how well they're playing talk about different matchups different playoff matchups hasn't been like that since right and uh, just how much I enjoyed that so that's my first memory usually when I think about the Ryan Pace Matt Nagy era and then I remember that uh the offense never really got on track since week 14 in 2018 never really could find the end zone, couldn't put the ball, couldn't score, whether they could run the ball or pass the ball. That wasn't the problem. They just couldn't put the ball in the end zone. They couldn't put points on the board. And that's why, in, in my opinion, all the things that are said about Matt Nagy, that's the reason he's not here anymore, right? He's not here anymore. He couldn't get the offense turned around. No matter they got rid of some coaches, no matter how much they change. And, and as far as Ryan Pace, I mean, I just think at some point you couldn't give him another swing at a coach, right? And I know a lot of people say, well, um, he, he, he didn't have anything to do with John Fox. Uh, it would be disappointing to me if Ryan got hired and let someone tell him who to hire at head coach. Then you're not the guy for that job anyway. So that, that would be disappointing to me for, for the, to give a guy a swing at the third coach 
that that I, I think would have been a little bit too much for him. And they just never, Jared, I think they never developed players into all pro pro bowl type players. And by that, I mean guys they drafted, right? There's guys like Roquan Smith, we can argue, is a pro bowl player. But on your team, you need a few guys who there's no doubt. There's no argument. This dude's an all pro. And that from 2015 to now, there, there's not a guy on the roster who you can make that argument about. So the drafting and developing the players, to me, is why Ryan Pace is gone. Matt Nagy never got the offense going, and that's why he's gone. Well, Olin, let's, let's, let's talk about it, man, because I think people that don't understand the game or never played the game, to me, there was no identity of this Bears offense over the time that Matt Nagy was here. And, and listen, you can, you can be underneath a coaching tree and everybody think that you you're, you're going to bring you know Andy Reid's offense to Chicago, but if you don't know how to actually execute it, then it really doesn't matter. And and there was no there there was no execution of what Matt Nagy was trying to do on offense, and no identity when the identity was actually there and presented, which was run the football. There still was give and take there as well. And so I just want to go to talking about coaches. Really good coaches find a way to to adapt their system to the players that they have. And I felt mm -hmm. like when it came to Matt Nagy, it was all about his system or nothing. And to me, I think that's one of the biggest failures that he had here in Chicago, not being able to adapt to the players that he had around his system. Yeah, it's well said. And, and a lot of stubbornness, right? He's very stubborn in what he believed in. And when you watch the film and you watch the scheme, like you're talking about the concepts, the problem I had a lot of times was, Man, this run game doesn't seem to really match their pass game concepts. So when they run play action, uh, they're all high. The, the details aren't there. Their, their shoulder pad level is not low enough to pull the linebackers up. Uh, they're not running play action off the plays that they actually run. Uh, their pass concepts at, on certain downs and distance, like I'm going to run a, the running back wheel route out of nowhere on fourth and one. Like, let's just get the first down. Uh, let's give this guy a chance to make a play. So – there was a lot of things going on when you watched it. Obviously, you thought, man, um, I don't know what level this coaching staff, Coach Nagy, is on compared to the defensive coaches he's going against, right? Because the NFL now, it's about, to me, it's as much about coaching as it is about the players. And there's elite coaches and there's coaches who should not be there. That's something a lot of people won't say. There's not, there's, there's not a lot of really great minds, offensive minds in the NFL to match up against a defensive mind. And it just seemed like when uh, Wade Phillips put that on film in 2018, how to slow down the Matt Nagy offense, they never adjusted to it, man. And then the fact that they never had a dynamic player, Tyree Kill, a Travis Kelsey, uh, someone to take the top off the defense. Mooney has grown into somebody who's a good football player, but uh, my, my partner on the NBC after show, like Alex Brown likes to say, 88 out the gate, right? Get the ball in his hands, and this guy's going to go to the house. Tariq Cohn was the last one I remember like that, right? But, you know, I remember that 70-yard touchdown. I think it was against the Jets, maybe, on the screen. I, I forget. I think that play, I play that was. It was a home but, game. It was a home game. Home game, yes. And that's like, you think about it, man. Yeah, Jared, like, when's the last? We don't see a lot of those, right? Jakeem Grant has come in. He's been a little, he's been kind of dynamic, but um, then he got injured. So uh, the fact that their scheme never really fit together to me and then, he fired the three coaches in 2019, Harry Heastan, Mark Heffert, and uh, um, I forget his name now, the tight end coach. But they brought in DeFilippo, Laser, 
and Clancy Barone and DeFilippo and Laser, as soon as he brought that in, them in, I said he just doubled down on the scheme, right? He didn't go get, say, like a, at that time, the um, offensive coordinator in Minnesota, Clint Kubiak, was the quarterback coach. It'd be good to get him or even the, um, even the LaFleur for the Jets. Get somebody with that outside zone background because you're trying to run it under center. You might want to have someone in your building who actually knows how to run it. That is, that's just, it's, it's mind boggling, right? Right. Mm-hmm. You, you want to bring in people that are trying to run the, the scheme that you're trying to implement. And if you don't, you're bringing in your guys more than likely there's not a lot of stuff that's going to change because everybody no. is pretty much like yes men. And to me, you can't be successful that way. Owen, I do want to ask you about this because there's a lot of stuff here. Let's yesterday with that press conference, your takeaway after that hour press conference, where now it seems like the structure a little bit is going to change that whoever the GM is going to be is going to report to George but to me, doesn't that seem like a path of to the same road that they've been traveling since he has been in that position as chairman? Mm-hmm. Very, very simply, right? Nothing's changing, and we're all hoping Bill Polian can help him. I know Bill Polian, man, this guy, as qualified as a football guy as there is in, in the NFL world, he's a no-nonsense kind of guy. He'll shoot it to you straight. Here's my problem, Jerry, with what I heard yesterday. First of all, to admit you're a fan, and you're, you're not a football evaluator, but people are reporting to you. Uh, that's crazy to me. And then there was a story in there that I think slipped through. Like you said, I became the story. Um, him, I'm not a fan. I'm a fan, not a football evaluator story. There was a story in there for me that becomes a problem. Coach, he said that Coach Nagy came to him to talk to him about the Justin Fields situation. I, I think you remember when he was talking about that. And he said, I think the word he used was, I was uncomfortable. Right? So... My problem is now when these guys come to talk to him in the building about what's going on football-wise, the football conversation makes you uncomfortable, right? I don't, I don't understand that. Coach Nagy obviously is looking to talk to the chairman of the Chicago Bears about the direction the team is going in. It doesn't mean you have to tell him what to do. What it means is you put up a grease board and you say, okay, Coach Nagy, let's talk about it. Let's get the positives on why Justin Fields plays and let's get the negatives on why Justin Fields plays. And you just talk through it and you come to the best conclusion for Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears because you're the chairman of the Chicago Bears, because you're the chairman of a football team. The head coach comes to you because he's not looking for guidance. He's just looking for an exchange of ideas. You're not going to tell him what to do, but if he wants to talk to me about it, I'm going to talk to him. Well, let's talk about it. I'll tell you what I think. You tell me what you think. Let's come to an answer here, not just, man, I'm totally uncomfortable talking about the starting quarterback on my football team, right? So my problem is how, if he doesn't want to talk about that, how does he want to talk about the football part of his building? How does he go downstairs and ask, man, how come Khalil Mack has been injured all these years in a row? I need to get him playing at a high level. Who do we bring in here to help? Who are you bringing in as a head coach? Who's your strength staff? Because I got to get this guy right. If I get Khalil Mack right, Jared, if I get him healthy, I don't care who his coach is. He'll dominate. Mm-hmm. I don't care who his D-line coach is. I just got to get Khalil Mack on the field at this point in his career, right? These are the questions you wonder if they can sort out without Bill Polian in there every day to help them get to these answers. When you see all the names of who the Bears could be going out there and wanting to interview on their list, is there a combo of a head coach and a GM candidate that you like or 
Do you have any separate that you like of these guys that have been listed? I, I really, I really, like, you know, I would just be saying names off of their scheme. If you, if you get to a point where they're interviewing you as a head coach for NFL football team, you're, you're very good at your scheme. You're very good at what you do, right? I have to get them in a room and I have to talk to uh, Brian DeBall. I have to talk to Brian Leftwich. I have to talk to Leslie Frazier, Todd Bowles. I have to talk to these guys about what I just talked to you about. Who's your strength coach? Who's your nutritionist, right? What is your plan on the road? What is your plan to give me that little bit of an advantage I need in the NFL to be a consistent winner? What is your plan when you go up against Bill Belichick, who has all the answers to all your questions? What is your plan to get Let's watch two games on Justin Fields. Tell me what you think about his footwork. What you think about the way he reads the defense? What kind of scheme would you put him in? Look, he's shut down here. I'm going to put on the film, Jared, of the Baltimore Ravens when, he going to, when he's going against Don Wink Martindale, the defense corner, when he's baffled. I'm going to ask the guy, what are you going to do here in this situation to get my offense moving again? I need to know the answers to those questions, man, because I know you know your scheme. I know you are successful. That's why you're sitting here in front of me. But I need to know all the little ways you're going to get my building, you're going to get Khalil Mack healthy. I'm going to show you film on Eddie Goldman. I want to know what you think is wrong with him. I want to show you Eddie Jackson in 2018. I want to watch 2019, 2020. I want to know what you think the difference is. I want to know how you're going to get him fixed. It, to me, that's just simple questions, right? There's, those are things that, that, to me, that's just obvious. Man, I, I want to talk about Justin Fields because, I mean, that right now is what everybody is hoping for. That's what this season was all about, just to get him on the football field. Listen, I know he had his ups and downs this season. I knew he was going to. I think a lot of people were hoping that he was going to take off and be a Justin Herbert type, but just the way that everything is structured here in Chicago, Matt Nagy's offense, I knew it was going to be difficult for him, but we did see flashes. For the fans out there that are already kind of pushing him aside, saying, oh man, he's no good. Please tell me your take on what you see the future looks like for Justin Fields. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's got a lot of improvement to do. Like, I'm sure he knows. Like, I did. I tell everybody's story. The first time I went to reach an NFL nose guard, his name was Mike Wells out of Iowa. He'd been 350 pounds. I went to use my technique. I used it watching. It was like a jump turn technique. Mike Wells picked me up three yards in the air and he slammed me on my head. <laughs> three yards in the backfield. I didn't run it back, fumbled the ball. Tony Wise ran up and he said, Olin, that's the block you were drafted for. And I remember going to my room thinking, gosh, I can't make it in this league because that guy, that is a grown man. Any, anyway, what I'm saying is he has growing to do. And, and like I did, like, like anybody who played in the NFL does, right? But what I saw positive-wise was a guy who competed on every play. He, he's a competitor. I saw him go up after the Cleveland game. I think it was the Cleveland game when he wanted to get on the stand of the podium post-game press conference, and he wanted to be the first one to talk to say, look, man, we got to get better. I got to get better. We got to play better. I remember watching him against the 49ers on fourth and one. Kid's dynamic, man. I remember watching him take the field in Pittsburgh, down, uh, uh, losing the game, needed a touchdown to take the lead, terrible towels waving, and I just looked at his body language. I remember thinking to myself, they're going to score. Like, he's going to take him down the field and score. And I think what we would all agree, one of the hardest atmospheres in the NFL at that point uh, versus Mike Tomlin and that defense, that's intimidating, but he wasn't intimidated. And he took the lead, right? They actually took the lead. So 
those are positives for me. You can make plays. I think he rolled left and threw a sweet little pass there to Darnell Mooney. Anyway, I'm excited about Justin Fields. I think he can grow every time he makes a mistake. I think it was um, preseason, his first preseason game, someone came off the edge in empty protection. He didn't see him, and he got his head taken off, right? I think the next week they said the same blitz, and he beat it, right? And I remember, like, you know, you're always looking for positives. I go through every game, and I find games where he would beat the blitz, where he would read it, get the ball out, because we all know he can run. We all know he's dynamic. We all know the things he can do with his legs. Uh, he starts being the blitz, getting the ball out, trying to play from the pocket a little bit. Uh, they give him a run game. They give him a scheme that makes sense, build everything around him, get him a few more playmakers, get that offensive line in order. And, and you may have your quarterback here that Chicago's been looking for for a long time. Well, the Bears finished the season 6-11. and 11. And there was a couple games, if you look at second halves, that they weren't able to make those adjustments at halftime. It's a couple of games they could have won. And I know when you people are going to think I'm crazy, but Owen, if they get the head coach right, the GM right, is there any way that we see this thing moving a little bit faster than expected and maybe see this Bears team find a way into the playoffs next season? Well, if, if you get everything right, right, and you get the guys healthy, and we don't know who's going to be here next year or not with the salary cap problems. They don't have a ton of draft picks. Uh, you know, they trade the first, the first pick away last year for Justin Fields. Um, but in 2018, we saw it, right? In 2017, gosh, they looked far away, didn't they? I mean, they didn't look like they were very close at all. 2018, we saw them take a jump. Of course, you trade for Khalil Mack. Uh, you have Vic Fangio. You have almost an all-star staff on defense, right? Vic Fangio, Brandon Staley, Ed Donatel, Jay Rogers. I mean, there's a reason you play good on defense. But if you can get back to your takeaways, 38 in 2018, I think they're down to 16 this year. That was an amazing stat. I, I always say this when I say that. In, in the year they fired Lovey, Jared, 2012 or 13, they had 44 takeaways. That is an amazing – they were plus 20 that year. Anyway, I, I always regress to that because it's, it just boggles my mind. Anyway, uh, that doesn't mean Lovey shouldn't have got fired. I'm a Lovey guy. We all know that. I just always like to say that. 44 takeaways. Unbelievable. But uh, if you can get back to taking the ball away, they had that uh, turnover bucket out there this year. One of the problems with, with Coach Nagy, right, was – the philosophy always changed, right? We're a running team. We're a pass team. We want to get takeaways. Now we don't hear about the turnover bucket. There's a basket on the turnover bucket, but no one knows where the turnover bucket went. Anyway, just a coach that sticks with that, right? And a defense that can get after them. Like you're saying, can we get Eddie Goldman playing at a high level again? Can we get a, a Khalil Mack playing at a high level again? I don't know what they're going to do with Bilal Nick. Can you get Eddie Jackson? Does Jalen Johnson take a step? Man, that defense is – they've got some guys out there. That, can you get Montgomery? Mooney, can Cole Komet, can we help Cole Komet develop into, into somebody who can threaten the middle of the field, right? Borum, Tevin Jenkins, uh, what do you do with James Daniels? I don't know, Cody Whitehead. Anyway, Sam Mustafer, can these guys take a step? If you can, you can get the right strength coach in there, the right nutritionist, get their skill coaches, get moving in the right direction, the right scheme. In the NFL, man, you are not that far away. The Bears are not as far away as people think they are. Oh, man, I'm going to tell you right now, I just got smarter talking to you. I appreciate you, man. <laughs> We'll